Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. We're finishing this morning our series that we have entitled A Harvest of Peace. Two weeks or three weeks ago now, Pastor Sean began by talking about the great conflict, the, really the conflict of the ages. Man had been separated from God. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm learning, okay? I've got, I can go this far. I have lines up here to tell me when I'm still in the picture, okay? So I'll try and pay attention. The great conflict is the conflict that happened back in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and all of mankind was cast into sin and separated from God, and that great conflict had to be resolved some way, and so God ultimately sent Jesus to die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin. He died, he was buried, he came back to life again, vindicating his claims, and because of that, we can have a right relationship with God. The greatest conflict of our lives is something that we don't have to resolve. We just have to come in faith to Jesus and say, please take care of this for me, and he says, I already did. All you got to do is ask. It's really that simple. If that's never happened, I hope you will take care of that today. But uh, then uh, the next week, two weeks ago, Pastor Joey talked about confrontation and how we don't have to be afraid of confrontation. And really, confrontation has the intention of restored relationships. And it's, it's so vitally important that we, we remember that that's the goal. Confrontation doesn't have to be viewed as an angry, explosive experience. It's just something that we, we need to do. When there is an issue that's big enough that we have to go to someone, we go to them, and there's a biblical pattern. So those two sermons are in the background, in the backdrop of this one. You can get online with no doubt, I'm sure, and uh, find them. They're just the last two sermons that were preached here. So uh, check them out, especially if you're here and didn't get a chance to hear those two sermons. Uh, catch up with those. Today, we want to finish that, and I want to talk a bit about uh, how we can resolve conflict. Because, well, partly because the holiday season is here, right? And we're going to be visiting with people and we're going to have family in or friends in or we're going to be connecting with people that maybe there have been some strained relationships or maybe it's just the whole spirit of the holidays which is really joyful and yet really stressful somehow and it brings up sometimes issues that we have in the back of our minds some of you have already had the ability to exercise some tact, even perhaps this past weekend with uh, visitors in your home, because tact, you know, is the ability to make someone feel at home when you wish they were. <laughs> we, uh, we want to deal with conflict. Conflict really is, is something that has been available, not available, but, but in our lives since the beginning of time, right? I mean, it's all the way back into the Old Testament to the furthest book. The first two chapters are great. 
first two chapters are all about God and his creative genius in bringing mankind and everything that we see around us to be. Chapter 3 is the fall of man. It didn't take us long to be dissatisfied with having everything we could possibly ever want with only one prohibition. It didn't take us long to say, well, I don't want any prohibitions at all. And so just as we would have if we were there, we kind of we slam Adam and Eve, but if it were you, know, you and me there, we'd have done the same thing. And Adam and Eve sinned. By the time we get into chapter 4, we have Cain and Abel. First instance, maybe not the first instance of conflict. I, I suspect the first instance of conflict was, went something like this within a short time after the fall. When one morning Eve said, Adam! He said, yes, dear. And she said, does this leaf make me look fat? And Adam responded like any man. Well, no, 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 you look fine. What? No, really, it's fine. So now you're saying I need a bigger leaf? Sorry, I won't do that anymore. Um, but Cain and Abel really genuinely were the first instance of conflict, and it revolved around worship. Isn't that interesting? It revolved around people coming to bring their gift to God in worship, and and. Abel brought of the flocks that he raised and cared for, and God looked with favor on Abel's offering, and Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, and he thought, you know what? I, I'm, I'm just going to bring the stuff that's important to me, and I'm going to give that to God. And God looked with displeasure on Cain's offering. And Cain got so mad about it that he killed Abel. A little further ahead in history, and we come to Abraham and Lot, God has called Abram to be the father of a great nation and the father of faith, and he says, you start walking, Abram, I'll let you know when you get there, and, and as he finally gets to Canaan, he and Lot have now come, and their flocks and their herds and their wealth has grown so much, they, they can't really function together. There's just not enough space for all of them, and so Abram resolves the conflict by saying, you pick, Lot, I'll take what's left. Unless you think that sometimes just stepping down and saying, I'll let you have your way, is a bad way to resolve conflict, can I remind you that if Abram had not taken that perspective, so much in history would have changed. But Abram was willing to be humble and step down and let Lot take first choice and God blessed Abram beyond anyone's imagination. Jacob and Esau, sibling rivalry from within the womb, fueled by a, a protectionist mom. Families can have conflict in them, right? Then Joseph and his brothers, when they finally sold him, said, we'll get rid of him, we'll send him to Egypt, that'll take care of the problem. And little did they know, it did take care of the problem, but just not the one they thought they had. It took care of a problem that would happen many years down the road as God intervened in the midst of conflict. So conflict happens all the time. It has throughout history, and if it hasn't happened in your life recently, it's probably just around the corner. I don't want to ruin your Christmas. So what do we do about it? What, what can happen? I want, I want to back up before we get to what can we do about it to ask this question. What do we know about conflict from the scriptures? 
It's really important to understand where it comes from because really this is the, this is the heart of the issue. The heart of conflict has to do with what's going on inside of me. And the heart of conflict begins in James. If you want to find your way to James chapter 3, we're going to start at the end of that chapter and go into chapter 4 here. Conflict is a heart issue. And here's what verse 14 says, beginning in James 3, 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's have a word of prayer before we go too much further. Father, I'm really grateful for the opportunity I have to open your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would guide our thinking and our hearts, our minds, as we uh, interact with your word to us. We don't, we don't take this lightly, Lord, and I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding from yourself and that you would move in our hearts, soften our hearts to the truth of the scriptures and make us different, Lord, than when we came in here just a few minutes ago. For I pray in Jesus' name. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition cause all sorts of disorder. Bitter jealousy is just a passionate feeling of resentment. Now, I'm just not the kind who asks how many of you have ever experienced this because, first of all, not everybody would put their hand up, and so the rest of you would be liars. And... The rest of us would just admit it. I mean, we've all faced this, this kind of jealousy, and I know we'd argue whether it was bitter jealousy or not, but we've all had this sense of resentment. Why does he get to do that? Why does she get that position? Why do I not have to be able, why can't I do this over here? Why did they get to do that? It's jealousy. And selfish ambition is just wanting to be better or at least wanting people to think I'm better than I actually am. It's, it's self-promotion. It's wanting to be ahead of the pack in, in some particular way, wanting to be at the front of the line. I mean, we, we, we watch that from the time we're kids, right? We're just not so obvious about it uh, as we grow up, or we think we're not so obvious about it. And can I remind you that it happens in churches 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's, it's not uh, in your notes, I don't think, but uh, Paul talks about how they were jockeying for position in the Corinthian church. Way back at the beginning of our Corinthians study last summer, uh, we talked about this. There were people who were complaining, and Paul is writing about it, and he says, some of you say, well, I'm of Paul. And others say, well, I'm of Apollos. And then the really spiritual ones, well, I am of Christ. But really, it didn't matter whose name they used. What they were doing was trying to advance the impression of other people, of of themselves, in, in front of other people, 
by aligning themselves with somebody that they thought was an impressive person, right? We do it all the time. We do it even when we don't think about it. We want to advance ourselves, and we face jealousy if we don't get to do it. Keep reading. James chapter 4 asks the question and answers it for us for the morning. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes the, the series of ongoing attacks? What causes that stuff? What causes the bickering back and forth that takes place with each other? What causes the outright wars sometimes? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Your passions are the things that make you happy. That, that give you pleasure. You're familiar with the word hedonism, the, the extreme form of pleasure-seeking, that everything I do is just all about my pleasure. That's the word. That's the word here for passions. My desire for my happiness, my desire for my personal pleasure is the cause of quarrels and conflicts my desires, my strong impulse to have or do something, my coveting, when I set my heart on something and I just want that badly. And by the way, I'm really sorry to be pointing out covetousness when we just finished Black Friday weekend, but isn't it interesting how we can get caught up into that? I mean, I hate Black Friday, and I still went shopping on Black Friday. There's just something about it. I had an offer to go fishing, and I probably should have just done that, but... Those things are the things that cause conflict. Those are the things that cause the wars among us. It's a heart issue. It's, a, it's something that takes place inside of me. Let me give you a couple of examples. On some Saturday, you have a passion to go play a round of golf, and your wife has a passion to fix up the living room and decorate because, I mean, Christmas is coming. Is there potential for conflict there? There would be in my house. Or during a particular holiday celebration, your desire is for your family to stay in your home, and you want to spend time together with your family, your nuclear family. And your mother-in-law's passion and desire is for you to come to their home and visit with them. Potential for conflict? Oh, yeah. Probably some elbows this morning already. It's all of the stuff that screams, what about me? Not all the stuff is bad, mind you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go golfing, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to fix the house up for Christmas. Nothing wrong with wanting to stay home with your family. There's nothing wrong with extended family wanting you to come be with them. But when it causes conflict, it's because I have elevated the, well, what about me, question. So conflict is a heart issue. 
Secondly, I want you to know conflict is a humility issue. Find your way to Philippians chapter 2, and while you're on your way there, I want to relate a brief story to you that you'll remember from Mark chapter 9. It is an occasion when Jesus and the disciples have been traveling from one town to the next, which of course they did on foot, so they had lots of time to have conversations and chat with each other. And uh, they got to one particular house in, in one particular town, and Jesus looked at them and they said, so guys, what were you talking about while we were walking here? And they all kind of did the standard guy thing. Nothing. Because the, the text tells us they had been arguing about who was greatest. They're walking with Jesus, for crying out loud, and they're arguing about which of them is the greatest. Peter is probably saying, listen, guys, I'm the spokesman. I mean, of course, I'm at the front of the line. I'm the one that does most of the talking. And Andrew's thinking, yeah, but I'm the one that brought you to Jesus. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even be here. And Judas, pre-betrayal Judas, is like, um, guys, treasurer, I control the money. Obviously, Jesus thinks I'm important. They're walking with Jesus and they're debating who among us is the greatest. Paul writes about this to the Philippians here in chapter 2, and he says this, beginning in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which we've already talked about, but on, on the contrary, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Conflict is a humility issue. There is to be no selfish ambition or conceit. We are to count others, or I am to count others, as more significant than me. I'm to treat them as though it were true, as though they were exceptional and I was not, as, as though they were of surpassing value to me. And I know that doesn't seem fair, but that's how I am supposed to view those around me. Would that change anything in your workplace? Would that change anything in your home? And I am to look to other in others' interests, too. I'm to be concerned about how to respond appropriately to the needs of other people, not just my own needs. And to give us an example, an illustration, so that we could really get a grip on what this means to treat someone else as though they were more valuable than me, here's what Paul does. He gives us the example of Jesus, and he says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. We don't think it's such a big problem to become a man, because, I mean, we're at the top of the food chain, right, on earth. I mean, we're, we're pretty important down here. But Jesus had to humble himself dramatically to come here and become one of us. And being found in human form, verse 8 says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is God, always has been God. 
God the Son, and he came to earth in obedience to the Father's will. He took on humanity. He experienced hunger and thirst and the ability to endure pain and things that God doesn't have to do. He has a right not to experience those things. But he was willing for a period of time to set aside his rights. And he came here, and once he got here and became one of us, then he humbled himself more and he became obedient to death. And not just death, but the kind of death that he died on a cross, the one reserved for the worst of criminals. Why did Jesus do that? Because for that period of time, he considered me more valuable than himself. Nobody would argue that Jesus is more valuable than everybody. But for that time on earth, Jesus treated you and treated me as though we were of surpassing value to him. He took my death so I could have a relationship to God. That's what it means to treat others as more valuable than yourself. And conflict comes when we refuse, when we say, no, no, I, they're, they're not more valuable than me. We're at least of equal value. That's not fair. They're getting this and I'm not getting this. All of these things happen because we refuse to take the path of humility and because we don't recognize that it's a heart issue. So that's what we know about conflict. It starts inside of me. So the next question is, what can we do about it? Is there anything we can do? Or are we just hopeless? Let me give you a little bit of preliminary thinking about that. There are three things here, and some of these will intersect a little bit with what Pastor Joey said a couple of weeks ago, so I'll try and kind of squeeze through them a little more quickly. Number one, I want to encourage you to be dependent Romans chapter 15, and we're going to come back here in a little bit because this is such a, a profound passage of Scripture. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another. I'm going to stop there because I want to, I want to give you this word to think about. There's always hope. Maybe somebody's come here this morning and you're in the middle of a conflict, you're in the middle of a marital conflict or a, a conflict at your job and you're thinking to yourself, this is just hopeless. It's not. God grants harmony. Through the, through the scriptures, through our endurance through the ministry of other people, God brings harmony where there is none. Conflict can be resolved. You need to depend on him to do it. Secondly, be realistic. Pastor Joey addressed the issue of confrontation. <coughs> Excuse me. In Matthew 18, it indicates that if we have conflict, you know, I'm going to need a bottle of water. I've been trying to avoid that the whole time. Uh, if somebody can grab one, I'll last another 15 minutes. Thank you, brother. Um, if we go to someone and we're struggling with an interpersonal conflict, 
the scriptures say, go to them between you and them alone. If they listen, you've gained your brother. Praise the Lord. The conflict has been resolved. If not, so I want to encourage you to be realistic about your conflict resolution and, and say this much. If you need some help, get some help. You're, you don't have to be alone in this. And can I say this, please, to those of you who are married? One of my great frustrations as a pastor over the years has been that when, when couples finally come to the pastor for marriage counseling, it's like the last possible ditch effort. We've been to counselors individually. We've tried marriage counseling over here. We've tried marriage counseling over there. Nothing is working, so we'll come to you. I mean, I love Jesus, but I can't work miracles. Usually somebody has called a lawyer already, and they're like, well, before we go that far, let's talk to the pastor. I'm happy to talk to you. Our other pastors are happy to minister with you and and to you. But you know, it's really okay if you're just in a conflict and your marriage isn't falling apart to call somebody and say, hey, listen, can we sit down and do a tune-up? It's really okay. It would save a lot of marriages if we would do that a lot sooner. And be faithful. Romans 12, verse 18 says, If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Your job is to do everything you can do to be at peace. There are some people that you're going to find that they just won't. They refuse. They absolutely will not live at peace with you. Don't use that as your excuse to run away from every conflict, but that's just kind of the reality. Sometimes we have to face it, and 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us we ought to be stewards, faithful stewards. Thank you, sir. Okay, so that's some preliminary thinking. How about some steps to resolve conflict? We like things a little practical, right? So let's do that. Some steps to resolve conflict. Number one, define the real issues. Get to the heart of the matter. We so easily want to figure out what's wrong. Oh, man, I can preach till noon. (laughs) Thank you. Um, we so quickly want to figure out who done it, who's responsible, and nail them for it that we forget that we got to get down to the root of what the real problem is. Luke chapter 12, very interesting account. Jesus is preaching. He's talking to a group of people, teaching them, telling them how important it is to acknowledge Christ. And then he says that we're told in verse 13 of Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. (laughs) Can you imagine showing up at a service here and Pastor Sean's preaching away and somebody stands up and says, "Um, Pastor Sean, my brother won't be fair to me in dividing our inheritance. There's a part of me that would really love to see that happen. Just, you know, what, what would take place? Jesus looked at him and said, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He just pretty much blew him off, but he took it as an opportunity to do this. 
after this fellow pipes up and says, here's what I really want. Jesus, would you help me take care of my brother and his inheritance issue with me? Jesus looks then over at the crowd and he says, beware. Beware. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. It wasn't about the inheritance. It was about what? What about me? He's not being fair with me. He's not dividing the inheritance the way I think it should be divided. We don't have to debate whether it was actually happening or what was going on. The point was Jesus got to the heart of the matter. Secondly, overlook minor offenses because you commit them too. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, go on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not talking about just sweeping things under the rug. I'm just saying there are a lot of things that aren't worth having conflict about. And we make conflict out of them, sometimes because they've happened before and sometimes because we've not been very loving, according to 1 Corinthians 13, and we've kind of kept the log. And here they've done it again. And I know it's not a big thing, but they keep doing it, and that makes it a big thing. No, it doesn't. If it's a minor thing, it's a minor thing. And I know sometimes we kind of define major as what you do to me and minor is what I do to you. But let's be honest about what's minor. A lot of things, honestly, can't we just let it be? Maybe this Christmas, our relationships would be better served by a few less verses of happy birthday Jesus and a few more verses of let it go. (laughs) Overlook minor offenses. We are so easily offended in our culture. I mean, you, somebody walks across the street in front of your vehicle and they didn't do it at the traffic spot, at the correct line, and you're like, what is wrong with you? Probably nothing. They probably just didn't want to walk that far. Number three, check for your beam. You can't see clearly with a log in your eye. Here's our motto, usually. In matters controversial, my perception is just fine. I always see both points of view, the one that's wrong and mine. Get the log out of your eye. Check for your beam. We can't see clearly when our perspective is diminished by our own sin. As Pastor Joey said, in effect, that's not a a passage of Scripture about ophthalmology. It's a passage of Scripture about hypocrisy. I try to fix somebody else's problem when I haven't dealt with my part of the problem. Check for your beam. You cannot see clearly with a log in your own eye. When it becomes necessary, and it sometimes does, to have a confrontation, can I encourage you to confront the situation? Not so much the person. I know that it's a little hard to distinguish, but so many times... Our confrontation becomes an attack on that person 
We go after the person because we want to win the argument, and we forget that the relationship is still important, and we may win the argument and lose the relationship and be far worse off. Confront the situation. And by the way, who is responsible to initiate conflict resolution? Pastor Joey gave one half of it a couple weeks ago when he said, if your brother sins against you, go to him between you and him alone. So if you are sinned against, it's your responsibility to go to them and initiate conflict resolution. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, if you come and bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. So now you're the offending party and they have something against you. Go make things right with your brother, then come back and bring your gift to the altar. So who's responsible to initiate conflict resolution? Whoever recognizes there's a problem. And when you speak, can we please practice speaking the truth in love? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, says exactly that. We should speak the truth in love. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, says, Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Always gracious. Is that true of your speech as you interact with people? Confront the situation... Number five, ask for and grant forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, or rather chapter 4, excuse me, and verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive as you've been forgiven. So, we know what, what there, there is a, a body of information we can know about conflict. Certainly there could have been a lot more, but we know that much, and we know what we can do about it. So, to me, part of the question for today is, why should we care? Why not if it's been this long and it's, there's just so much water under the bridge, so to speak, why not just get the divorce or quit the job or leave the church or whatever? Why not just get out of it and start fresh? Wouldn't that just be easier? Go back to Romans chapter 15. And I want to finish here because I think this is really, really important. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little word right there that begins verse 6 and it is the little word that. It's just a little conjunction, but oh man, there's a lot to it. May the God of endurance grant you to live in harmony with the purpose that is what it means. 
There's a, there's a reason why Paul is praying this for his readers. I want God to grant this to you with the purpose that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should care because when we resolve conflict, God gets greater glory. We say we want to live our lives for the glory of God. I wonder how often we've connected that to resolving the conflicts that we have in our relationships. I know I've thrown a lot at you, so I want to kind of summarize with a few thoughts for you to take home. Number one, I contribute, and I think these are on your notes, I contribute to the conflict in my relationships. I know probably somebody's sitting there thinking, well, you make it sound like most of the responsibility is on me to figure out what's wrong in my heart. Listen, I didn't write the book. Don't get upset with me. I contribute. I tend to think that the other party is the one contributing most of the problem. Secondly, and please don't forget this one, the power of the gospel to change hearts makes conflict resolution possible. There's always hope. If the gospel can transform you from a rebellious sinner wandering and running from God to someone passionately in love with God wanting to follow after the things of Jesus Christ, the gospel can do the same thing for this person that you're in conflict with on a horizontal level. There's always hope. Thirdly, when I pursue peace in my earthly relationships, God is glorified. It's really vital, right? It's vital that we keep our attention on that. So I want to encourage you as we begin to draw things to a close and, and uh, kind of move on into our day, I, I want to encourage you to to think through some of the situations you're in. You know, conflict doesn't have to be a war. It may just be a little conflict. It may, it may have happened on the way to church this morning, right? Sometimes resolving conflict is just me saying, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth the struggle. It's not worth the hassle. It's not worth me making a thing out of it. I'm just going to move on. Okay, they did something they shouldn't have done. It's really okay. I do too. Sometimes letting it go is the solution. It's just figure out what your part is. Make sure that your heart is right, that you're living in humility, that you're viewing this other person as more valuable than you. See if any of that changes your perspective. If you've got to confront, confront. Do it in a biblical fashion. Do what you need to do. But, boy, there's something about the way that Christians are supposed to love each other that talks to the church. I have a very good friend of mine who was uh, in training to be a Muslim priest, born and raised in Afghanistan. And I asked him one day, what's, what's the one thing that really struck you that, that made Christianity different from Islam? He said, it was the fact that I was, I was not only required to, but that I would be able to love my enemy. He said, I was taught growing up, I was to hate anybody who wasn't part of my sect. And I saw in the scriptures that I was to love them. Listen, Christianity is the, the one 
experience in the world, the, the relationship. I, I, I hate to call it a religion because it's so much deeper than that, but it's the one thing where love is at the center of it and relationship is at the center of it. And if we can't learn to resolve our relationships and make them stronger in the midst of conflict, how in the world are people going to believe that we can have a right relationship with a God who is so vastly different than us? It's so worth it to learn to resolve conflict wisely because those who learn to do it sow a harvest of righteousness that results in peace. We're about to be in a season where we celebrate the Prince of Peace. Let's be people of peace. Can we do that? Listen, if there's a, some, some matter that you just want a little prayer support, prayer encouragement, I want to encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to speak with some in our prayer chapels out here as you're leaving off to the right uh, behind in the room behind the glass with the cross on the front of it. We have people waiting in there to meet with you, to pray with you, to ask God to, to go with you as you deal with some of these things. There'll be a couple of folks down front here. Please take advantage of that. I mean, we don't, we don't have people here to pray with you just because it's something good to do. We really believe in the power of prayer here at Coastal. We believe God will move in response to the prayers of his people. So come and meet with these folks. Let them encourage you. Let them Take some time, and, and there's the additional advantage of you doing something about it before you leave, because you know you're going to leave here and get off into the midst of the busyness, right? Do something about it right now. Take a step to move toward conflict resolution. God can do great things, and he's glorified in a greater way. All right, how about we have a word of prayer, and uh, our worship team's going to come back, and we'll uh, move on our way. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful today that you... Though we were your enemies, rebellious in our hearts, even when we didn't realize it, you did everything that needed to be done. You sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He was buried. He came back to life on the third day to vindicate his claims and to prove you right. Lord, if we just come to you trusting in the person and work of Jesus as, as having been done for us, asking you to forgive us of our sins and to make us your child, you, you do it for the asking. I'm so grateful for that, Lord. Help us to be people of peace as a result of that. Help us to, to look and long to be people who will uh, glorify you uh, by having relationships that are characterized by love and harmony amongst ourselves. Thank you that that can happen. I thank you for the hope that that offers us. And I pray that you would bless us as we go this morning with a renewed sense of hope and desire to follow you even in some, what sometimes seems like a small area like this. But Lord, sometimes it's huge. And we confess that to you, that we need a real dose of humility. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that Jesus was willing. I thank you that he was willing to treat me as though I was more valuable than him. I know that's not true, but I'm so grateful that he was and that because of his humility, I'm yours and I'm your child. I pray that that's true, that perspective will be true for all of my brothers and sisters here and maybe, Lord, for 
the one or more that's come that is not your child, Lord, I pray that they'd recognize just what Jesus was willing to do so they could be right with you. We love you, Lord, and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.